Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, glad you found us. And today we're going to be talking about a kind of an unusual little segment of jazz history. Uh, a while back, we did a podcast on uh, something I called Hot Clarinets of Chicago, or Chicago Hot Clarinets, and my purpose in so doing was to feature some of the great jazz clarinet players, both black and white players, active on, in Chicago during the 1920s, and focusing on the recordings that they made where they were the only horn. There were no trumpets or trombones, it was just clarinet and rhythm section. And uh, in my searching around for suitable uh, contestants for that uh, podcast, I realized there was a, a, an equal number of them that would uh, be interesting uh, to focus a show uh, on for hot jazz clarinets of New York from the same period. So this is our program for the hot clarinets of New York. And uh, we're going to be featuring some very uh, interesting, exciting jazz clarinet players and also some clarinet players who are generally thought of as novelty or hokum clarinet players and some uh, players that the jazz fraternity have kind of looked their looked down their noses at over the years but even in their cases we have some very interesting music some interesting accompanists and some really better than average clarinet playing to begin with so we're going to start out with one of my favorite clarinet players from this period somebody who's very unheralded today uh, but was pretty well recorded in the 1920s and had a long and successful musical career, both in jazz and as a um, radio and studio musician, even as a semi-classical musician. This was a fellow named Jimmy Lytell, and uh, his real name was actually uh, an Italian name, Sarapede or something like that. He was born in New York City in 1904. He was uh, trained as a musician from very early on, and by the early 1920s, he was playing in some uh, very... uh, interesting and and indeed cutting-edge bands in New York. And these were bands like the original Indiana Five and the original Memphis Five, who had taken their cue from the enormous success of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, who had come originally from New Orleans, uh, had gone to Chicago and uh, had some success there, but opened at Weber's Cafe in Times Square in 1917 and started making recordings, which are generally thought of as the first recordings uh, of jazz music. And they later went to England and came back and so forth. But those recordings that they made in 1917 and 18 in America and 1919 in uh, London were really the 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 catalysts for the jazz movement, especially among white players in the 1920s. And Jimmy Lytell was one of those clarinet players who was very impressed with the uh, playing of Larry Shields, the clarinet player for the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Um, Lytell was, as I said, a very uh, well-schooled clarinet player, had very fine technique and uh, lovely sound and all that, and he uh, learned how to play jazz, basically and started playing with these little five- and six-piece Dixieland combinations that were playing pop music and some jazz tunes as well in the 1920s. He later went on to play in some larger groups in the 1930s. He was, I think, with the NBC Symphony for a while. He was the music director for the radio show The Chamber Music Society of Lower Basin Street in the 1930s, which featured jazz music. Uh, In the 1940s, he went into the studios in NBC and other places, and he was doing radio work. He was a music director. He wrote some songs as well. Uh, He came out of jazz retirement in the late 40s and 50s. He recorded again with the reconstituted original Memphis Five. He uh, backed up Connie Boswell on a recording from uh, the 1950s. He played on a Miff Mold date uh, as well. So he was pretty well recorded, and he was always an interesting player. Very very interesting ideas. A little bit earlier style than swing, obviously, so more on the uh, ragtime and 20s jazz style. And he was... Uh, obviously a very dependable player. He was hired by a lot of musicians, and he was well thought of in the industry. He had a uh, recording career under his own name, largely for the studio of, uh, or the recording company Pathé Actuel in the late 1920s, from, oh, 1926 until 1928 or so. And he cre- uh, cut quite a few tunes, uh, mostly with a trio or a quartet, uh, with himself as the only horn, although he did... Uh, have a cornet added on a couple of early sides, but that was uh, an experiment that was done away with. So we're going to uh, listen to four recordings that were made by the Jimmy Lytell Trio slash Quartet. The first one is a tune called the Stockholm Stomp, which was 
composed by a band leader named Al Goring. He was a piano player uh, who played for Ben Burney and uh, had his own band. And he was a, a partner with uh, Jack Pettis, the saxophone player who played with the New Orleans Rhythm Kings in the early 20s. He was kind of a novelty saxophone player along the lines of Rudy Weedoff, but he could play some jazz as well. And they did a series of recordings in the late 1920s that featured musicians like Benny Goodman and Jack Teagarden and uh, Bill Moore, Eddie Lang, different people like that. And, some, and they composed some very interesting tunes themselves, including this one, which is called The Stockholm Stomp. And Stockholm Stomp is going to feature um, Jimmy Lytell, along with pianist Frank Signorelli, who had played uh, briefly anyway with the original Dixieland Jazz Band, and Dick McDonough, possibly on banjo and guitar. Uh, we're going to hear some very good guitar and banjo solos uh, on many of these recordings that we're going to listen to today. Then we're going to hear a tune, uh, I should mention Stockholm Stomp was recorded in December of 1927. A couple of months before that, in October, uh, we're going to hear uh, Lytell's recording of a pop tune called Sugar. This is not the more famous Sugar uh, that was uh, prized by the Chicago jazz musicians. This was a tune that was written by... Um, Milton Ager and Jack Yellen with some help, apparently, by Red Nichols, the cornet player. And Nichols recorded this, and so did some other bands as well. I think Frank Trumbauer might have done it, too. But this is the pop tune, Sugar, played by Jimmy Lytell. Then we're going to do the W.C. Handy Blues, the Yellow Dog Blues, one of his later blues, actually, from the 1920s. That's from June of 1928, and features... Um, uh, re, uh, excuse me, uh, Lytell with Frank Signorelli and Harry Reeser on banjo. Harry Reeser was a, a banjo virtuoso who, uh, of course, led the Clico Club Eskimos uh, on radio and on records, and he was uh, playing banjo and guitar in the Broadway uh, pit bands right up until his death in the 1960s. In fact, I believe he died in the pit of one of the Broadway shows he was playing for. And then we're going to finish up with the Big Spiderbeck tune, Davenport Blues, with that same group. And this will feature a very flashy Harry Reeser banjo solo, as well as some pretty flashy clarinet playing by Jimmy Lytell, who was technically very, very gifted, as I think you'll agree. So this is our first clarinetist, our first hot clarinetist of New York, Jimmy Lytell, who will play the Stockholm Stomp, Sugar, Yellow Dog Blues, and the Davenport Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
So there we have some interesting clarinet playing, some very accomplished clarinet playing by Jimmy Lytell, playing in the hot jazz style of the 1920s. And those four tunes were all hot or bluesy pieces. Stockholm Stomp, Sugar, Yellow Dog Blues, and the Davenport Blues, especially the Davenport Blues. I remember hearing that on, a, on an LP of, I guess, just random clarinet players back when I was in graduate school and being totally impressed not only by the clarinet but by the banjo solo which was all single string sort of like a beboppy banjo solo in a way by Harry Reeser who's a, a technician uh, and a half on banjo. So our next uh, hot clarinet of uh, New York is a an African-American uh, player who was born in 1900 in Virginia and his name is Wilton Crawley. Crawley, C-R-A-W-L-E-Y, and he is known to the jazz community primarily because of a handful of recordings that he made in the late 1920s on which he was accompanied by uh, Jelly Roll Morton, also Red Allen and Charlie Holmes, Albert Nicholas, some of the members of the Louis Russell Band. Uh, Louis Russell was on himself on one of the sessions on piano, but Jelly Roll Morton was on two sessions. And... Those were uh, relatively rare sessions for Morton being a sideman, and uh, we're going to be doing a podcast or a radio show of Jelly Roll Morton, the sideman, coming up pretty soon. But um, that's why Wilton Crawley was known. His clarinet playing was very much of the novelty variety. He was a, a, a vaudeville musician and a comedian. His uh, big show-stopping uh, ending to his act was to w crawl across the stage like a worm while he was playing his clarinet, and apparently he did that on the recording session with Morton that broke all the musicians up. He did write some interesting tunes, though, and his singing was not too bad. We're not going to hear any recordings on which he sings. We're going to hear a couple of trio recordings that uh, he made in 1927 for the OK label in New York. He went out to Chicago a little bit after that and did some recordings, but we're going to do a couple of these first ones. The first one is called the Geechee River Blues, and then we're going to follow it up with Irony Daddy Blues. So the Geechee River Blues was Wilton Crawley on clarinet with Eddie Haywood on piano. That's Eddie Haywood Sr., uh, who was uh, originally, I think, based in Atlanta. He played for a lot of the black vaudeville acts down there. He was considered one of the best pianists of the day. And his son, Eddie Haywood Jr., became one of the best pianists and most... Um, uh, unrecognized great pianist of the swing era. Uh, he led many sessions uh, with his own sextet and also uh, accompanied other singers and, and musicians as well. He had a big hit recording with Begin the Begin, even almost as big as the Artie Shaw recording. Along with Eddie Haywood, we have Eddie Lang, the great white guitar player who was, at the time, freelancing around New York. He'd played with Paul Whiteman and Gene Goldkett, of course made a lot of recordings with Joe Venuti, and also Red Nichols and Big Spiderback. We're going to hear some nice uh, guitar solos uh, by Eddie Lang. On Geechee River Blues, he's also supported by John Trueheart on banjo. John Trueheart was best known for his long association playing banjo and guitar with the Chick Webb Orchestra. And then, after that, we go to Irony Daddy. I should mention Geechee River Blues is from May 31st of 1927, and Irony Daddy is June 4th of 1927, without John Trueheart. So, we're going to hear those two tunes, uh, which are a little bit more calm versions of the Wilton Crawley experience, I guess, and he had some abilities as a hot clarinet player and as a bluesy clarinet player as well. From that point, we're going to go on to another fellow named Boyd Center, um, S-E-N-T-E-R. His uh, recording group was Boyd Center and his Centerpedes, uh, and he used a lot of very fine musicians in his recording bands, including the Dorsey Brothers and um, Jack Teagarden and so forth. And we're going to hear two tunes that he did with a trio as well. Um, the Eniali, I guess that's how you pronounce it, blues, Enial, E-N-I-A-L-E, blues, and No More. Both of those composed by him, Boyd Center. I should mention Wil Wilton Crawley composed his two tunes as well. Talk a little bit more about Boyd Center uh, when we come back from this set. We're also going to hear two tunes by an African-American clarinet player who's sort of a counterpart to Wilton Crawley. He was a vaudeville musician as well, and we'll talk about him also. George McLennan is his name, and we're going to hear the bass clarinet blues and cutthroat blues. So those six tunes, all fairly short, are going to come on this set. The Geechee River Blues, Irony Daddy Blues, Enial Blues, No More, Bass Clarinet Blues, and Cutthroat Blues. <laughs>
So that was Wilton Crawley to begin that uh, little journey into vaudeville clarinet playing. And as I said, he was born 1900 in Virginia. He passed away in 1948 in Maryland. Did a lot of novelty work. He did a lot of vaudeville work. By the early 30s, apparently, he had moved to England and was playing in, I guess, music hall theaters over there. So after that, we went to Boyd Center. Now, Boyd Center was a white clarinet player who uh, had also been... Um, inspired by the original Dixieland Jazz Band, and he uh, was born in 1898 in Nebraska. He had played all kinds of instruments. In fact, he recorded uh, over his career on a number of instruments, clarinet, various saxophones, trumpet he sang, kazoo, all kinds of things, and he was a band leader as well. He had a long life. He ended up uh, leaving music more or less by the late 1940s after the swing era was over and uh, ended up out in Michigan where I think he ran a sporting goods store. But during his recording career, which uh, lasted for a number of years in the 1920s, he, uh, as I said, used a, a lot of the finest white jazz musicians of the 20s, uh, like Jack Teagard and the Dorsey Brothers and people like that. And that was the band that was called the Centerpedes, Boyd Center and his Centerpedes. And one of his um, protégés, believe it or not, was Glenn Miller, of course, the later day band leader. And at the time, Center, I was reading an interview that he uh, uh, was having done, and he talked about Glenn Miller as being just a sort of a jazzy trombone player at the time. He was from the Midwest. West, uh, and he uh, didn't read music at all, and so their companies parted, and by the later 1920s, their paths crossed again, and Miller said, well, I'm playing with Ben Pollock now, and I'm doing arrangements, and Center said, well, did you ever learn to read? If you're doing arrangements, you should be able to do that, and he said, yes, I learned how to read, so then that one sort of launched him on his career from that point, and the two tunes we heard were the Eniali Blues, which was done in March uh, March 20th of 1928 for OK, and that featured uh, Jack Russell on piano and Eddie Lang on guitar. So we heard the Eddie Lang uh, solos on the two Wilton Crawley tunes, which were uh, Geechee River Blues and Irony Daddy Blues, and then more Eddie Lang on uh, the Annie Alley Blues. And then we went to a tune called No More which also featured Jack Russell and Eddie Lang, some more fine guitar playing, and that was from May of 1928. 
So following that, we went to a third clarinet player whose um, uh, identification was more with the vaudeville and the novelty style of playing, and his name was George McLennan. He was an African-American clarinet player who was born in the 1890s, and uh, he was adopted, whether officially or unofficially, not sure about that, by the great African-American comedian and uh, vaudeville star, Burt Williams. And Burt Williams was probably the biggest African-American act uh, in the first 20 years of the 20th century. He toured with his uh, partner, George Walker, Walker and Williams. They were a great vaudeville duo that put on some Broadway shows, some very early all-black vaudeville shows, uh, as separated from the black minstrel shows. Um, and uh, they were uh, very, very well-known, very popular at the time. And then um, after Walker died, Williams ended up leaving the black musical theater world and going to the white vaudeville world, and he starred in the Ziegfeld Follies for a few years. And he was one of the first black recording stars, recording some of his comedy and novelty numbers. And apparently he took an interest in George McLennan and uh, supported him in, in a number of ways, I guess. McLennan often appeared in the vaudeville uh, realm and the black vaudeville circuit in blackface. Uh, he was definitely a, a hearkening back to an earlier period in African-American entertainment, the uh, late 1800s with the, the minstrel uh, versions of, of African-American life. Not the white minstrel versions, but the later day African-American minstrel shows that came about. So we heard two tunes. Uh, the first one was actually done by a, a group called the Harlem Trio. And uh, that was called the bass clarinet blues. So we, we, we vary from a clarinet to a bass clarinet in this case. And actually, it's a, it's a very respectable jazzy performance. You can't do too many novelty things with a bass clarinet. Um, but uh, the Harlem Trio uh, produced some very fine music. And we have our piano player from uh, the Wilton Crawley days back, Eddie Haywood. So he's back again, along with an unknown banjo player or an unidentified one. And those were done in October of 19. 24 again for okay. And then our last George McLennan tune was a thing called um, the Cutthroat Blues, which also featured Eddie Haywood, and I guess no banjo at that point. That was from May of 1925, again for okay, and that was released under George McLennan's name. And McLennan toured and uh, recorded somewhat frequently in the 1920s. He, he recorded some band sides as well that were really quite good, um, even though he was playing that kind of novelty, laughing, you know, hokum clarinet that we've heard uh, from all three of these players, Wil Wilton Crawley, um, Boyd Sensor, and uh, George McLennan. Uh, and uh, McLennan himself was touring up until the late 1930s, about 1937, when he died of tuberculosis. So we have three more clarinet players we're going to feature on our last set of hot New York clarinet players. One is a very well-known clarinet player from Memphis, Tennessee, named Buster Bailey, William Bailey. He was uh, an exceptionally gifted technical musician. He had uh, played with W.C. Handy's band in the late 1910s. He had made his way to Chicago, where he had played with Erskine Tate in the big theater orchestra. He'd played with King Oliver's band. Uh, he was brought to New York in 1924 to play with Fletcher Henderson's band on the heels of his friend Louis Armstrong joining that band. A couple of months later, Buster Bailey came in, and he stayed in New York pretty much for the rest of his life. He was such a versatile, talented, and in-demand musician. He played some saxophone, too, but mostly clarinet. Uh, he never really had to tour that much. Uh, most musicians had to go on long tours and one-nighters and so forth, and Bailey really stayed around New York uh, a considerable amount for most of his time from 1924 until he died in the 1960s. Probably one of the uh, longest tours or the longest time periods away from New York was at the very end of his life when he was a member of the Louis Armstrong All-Stars. But he played with many, many bands. Fletcher Henderson's band, he played with the Mills Blue Rhythm Band, he played with the John Kirby Sextet. We've done some work with uh, them on our podcasts and many groups as well. He could have been a clar classical clarinet player uh, if he hadn't been born black. Uh, the racism and segregation was so strong that he probably wouldn't have been able to succeed in the concert world, but he did pretty well in the jazz world. We're going to hear one of the two recordings he made with a trio uh, featuring Clarence Williams and Buddy Christian on banjo, Clarence Williams on piano. And this was a tune uh, that was published by Clarence Williams and co-written by him and Fats Waller called Squeeze Me. Uh, the technical quality is pretty bad, but uh, the playing is very good, so bear with us on that one. Then we're going to hear from another New York-based uh, black clarinet player named Bob Fuller. And uh, there'll be two tunes. 
Charleston clarinet and freakish blues that he is featured on. And then we're going to end up with uh, a New Orleans clarinet player, Tony Parenti, a great white player who... uh, almost became a member of the original Dixieland Jazz Band, but he was too young. He was only 16 when they went north, so he had to stay in New Orleans. Made quite a few recordings under his own name there and was a very successful band leader before he came to New York to play with Ben Pollock and a number of other bands. And he made a trio recording called Old Man Rhythm, and we'll talk about that when we get back. So those are our tunes. Squeeze Me, Charleston Clarinet, Freakish Blues, and Old Man Rhythm. Thank you. 
So there we have it, our hot New York clarinet players, uh, ending up with Tony Parenti, great New Orleans clarinet player. He was playing off and on with Ben Pollock at the time that those recordings were made, which was, uh, I think, in June of 1929, that recording, I should say, Old Man Rhythm, which was a tune that he composed. And uh, the pianist in that case was a man named Vic Bredis, who was the pianist with the Ben Pollock Band, an interesting sort of correspondence. The year before that, Benny Goodman put out the first couple of recordings, or the first six recordings under his own name, under the uh, title of Benny Goodman and His Boys, or Benny and His Boys, and Vic Bredis was the pianist on those as well. So before the Parenti recording, we heard Bob Fuller, an uh, African-American clarinet player who had a very... Um, active recording career in uh, the 1920s. He recorded quite a lot with um, the two musicians who were on this particular recording with him, um, uh, Lewis Hooper on piano and Elmer Snowden on banjo. And Hooper and uh, Fuller were both uh, credited with the uh, composition of the two tunes we heard, Charleston Clarinet and Freakish uh, Blues. And those were done under the title of the Three Jolly Miners. That was the name of the band. So, um, as I said, Charleston Clarinet Blues actually was the title, and Freakish uh, Blues. And uh, Hooper and Snowden and Fuller, the Three Jolly Miners for Volcanion in March of 1925. They recorded uh, under other names for other companies. For example, for Pathé Actuelle, they recorded according to the name of the Three Hot Eskimos, and there were a few other names as well. Uh, but generally it was that group, and sometimes they would be augmented by some other musicians, for example, Thomas Morris on, on cornet, uh, uh, there were quite a few others. There, was a, there were some trombone players. They had a whole little musical um, employment agency, basically, that went on there, and they recorded frequently uh, under their names and other names as well. Uh, the first tune that we heard was done by Buster Bailey, and I had erroneously said that the pianist was Clarence Williams. It wasn't Clarence Williams, it was Clarence Todd, who was an associate of Clarence Williams, and Buddy Christian on banjo. And again, the tune Squeeze Me was one of the tunes that the Clarence Williams Publishing Company was pushing uh, at that time, 1925. So... That was, uh, as I said, Buster Bailey, uh, just under his own name, 1925, sometime during May, for the Banner recording label. So that was uh, not a particularly good technical uh, recording, but the music was quite good technically. So we hope you've enjoyed this program. This has been just sort of a, a, a catch-as-catch-can program of New York clarinet players. Uh, I was thinking about some other recordings by these musicians. Also, uh, could have put on a couple by Jimmy Dorsey uh, with just a rhythm section, or Barney Bagard, who was recording with Jelly Roll Morton in New York at the time. But I figured we'd sort of aim for the ones that uh, weren't terribly well-known. So we got to hear Tony Parenti and Bob Fuller, Buster Bailey, George McLennan, uh, Boyd Center, Wilton Crawley, and Jimmy Lytell. So hopefully you've heard a few things maybe you hadn't heard before and hope you've enjoyed them as well. You've been listening to The Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Happy to be with you. Hope you uh, continue to listen to these podcasts. If you're interested in uh, giving us a little sponsorship, then uh, press the little button up at the top of your page, whether you're listening on Anchor.fm or Spotify or one of the other platforms that carries The Jazz Focus. So... Hope you enjoyed this, and uh, hope you enjoy the next programs coming up. Got a lot of ideas, and they're all in the pipeline. All of jazz is our playground here at the Jazz Focus. So thank you very much, and I'll see you on the other side.